0: Welcome to the Hidden Acres Podcast, coming to you from Hidden Acres Christian Center in Dayton, Iowa. We're your hosts, Eric Smith and Taylor Muggy, And we're happy to bring you the chapel messages from our 2022 men's retreat, Mm -hmm. which was just this past weekend, January 21st through the 23rd. Our speaker was Alex Tunnicliffe, who is the lead pastor at Redemption Hill Church in Kingsford, Michigan. And today, we're going to release all four of his chapel messages. That's right. This is message number three from Saturday night, January 22nd. So grab your... Bibles with me, if you would, and turn to Isaiah chapter six. Tomorrow, um, I'm gonna we're gonna take a really, really practical look at what it looks like for us to go home and be the men that God's called us to be. Um, so that's how we'll spend our our last session tomorrow. But for tonight, I, I want you to go to Isaiah six. Isaiah six is. Uh, probably a te- the text of Scripture that has impacted me the most, um, and continues to do so, and and uh, I just I want tonight for us to just get a vision of God, and that's what Isaiah 6 offers. And so to get a vision of God, and for us to see Him. And for us to have never been the same for having looked upon Him, it seems as though when God shows up, um, people leave differently. And, uh, and, and they, can't, they can't continue on in the way that they were. And so I pray that, that we would see God tonight revealed in His Word. I'm going to uh, pray. You're going to pray with me. We're going to ask God to show up and, and, and speak and to move and to show us Himself. So let's, let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this time, for this weekend, for this moment in time where as men we can open your word and God I ask now that as your word is opened that the spirit would come and do what no man can do and that is make it come alive God to fire it right into our hearts and our souls and to change us. God, if anything of any value in here is going to happen, it will have happened because you showed up and did it. And so God, we're asking you to come and do that. I'm praying for some brothers in here that would be hungry to see you as you are, uh, and and God, to to realize that that having seen you for who you are means we cannot continue to be who we have been. So God, come and do that for your glory, in your name. Amen. Isaiah 6, verse 1, and the king that Or In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Now, I don't know how much you know of Israel's history, but they haven't had a lot of good kings, uh, uh, to to say the least. Uzziah is one of them. And, and while you may not have the timeline worked out in your head, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah is taken into the throne room of God by way of a vision. And in the year that King Uzziah died, whether he had already died or, or, or was going to just die in that year by way of, 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 of a date on a calendar, in that year that good King Uzziah died, um, Isaiah is taken into the throne room and he sees the Lord sitting upon a throne. Now the posture of the Lord is important because when you're sitting on a throne, it means that you are not uh, threatened. It means that that you are not overly concerned about what you're going to do about your people who have now lost or are about to lose their good king. God is not running around the throne room of heaven wringing his hands and trying to figure out what he is going to do about the situation that is coming his way. That's just not how he operates. Brothers, many of us have a God who is small and and he's eye level with you. And, and he, um, when you're concerned and you're anxious, He's concerned and He's anxious too. Now that might sound comforting, but it's actually terrible news. Because if your God gets rattled about the things that rattle you, you, you have a real big problem. Because where do you go when God is, is, is falling apart just like you are? The, the, that's, that, that's the thing. But, but the good news is, is that that God actually doesn't exist. You, you've, you've manufactured Him. And, and you have at times wondered as you are carrying a burden or an anxiety, well, should I carry this or should I give it to God? Because I'm not sure I can carry it, but I'm also not sure God can carry it. And in the end, maybe I can carry it better than Him. You, you might have a God like that. I'm just telling you, you invented it. Like, you invented him. He does not exist. The God of the Bible is a God who sits on a throne that's really, really, really high. And, and in the midst of, of all the world falling apart around him, King Uzziah, COVID, whatever it is, uh, God sits on that throne and he is not concerned. He's not trying to figure out what he's going to do about the situation. That's why he can sit there. And so there He sits on this throne. And He is high and lifted up. And the train or the hem of His robe filled the temple. So if you can, use your sanctified imagination here. Here you are, Isaiah. You walk into the throne room and you look up. And you look up. And you look up. And you look up. And you keep on looking up until finally, a, a, as your eye follows up this throne, on the top of the throne is sitting the, the, the very King of Glory. And, and, and what seems to be connecting Him to you is this, this long robe, and the hem of His robe that rolls off of His shoulder and comes down this high throne. And it comes down to the floor, and you see it go back around the back of the throne room, and back around that pillar back there, and it comes back over here, and all around. And as you look, the the hem of the robe fills the temple. Now, lots of theologians have tried to make a lot out of the hem of the robe. It's, it's like, well, it's it's like his sovereignty, or it's like it's omnipresence. God's sovereign, and He's omnipresent. I'm going to grant that, and I don't. But I don't know that that's what that means. I just think it's sweet that when you're sitting up on that throne and you got a robe that long, and it just kind of goes everywhere, that's just sweet. And so I think it's okay to say that. If you want to try to make some theological whatever's out of it, feel free As long, so long as they're biblical. But but, but th- that's the vision that Isaiah has right there. Again, a lot of our vision is, is we walk kind of shuffle in and God's kind of eye level with us and what he's wearing isn't particularly noteworthy and the way he looks isn't particularly noteworthy. And, and to be honest, he's concerned about the very same things you're concerned about. And look, there's a lot of preaching like that. Like, 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 sometimes I listen to dudes preach, and I'm like, what are you doing? Other than just endeavoring to bring God down to eye level. Now, the beauty of the incarnation is, is that God takes on the flesh, and, and in a very real sense, He comes and looks us in the eyeballs. But you would be mistaken to conclude that He is like you, that He's frail like you, be, just um, because He can look you in the eyes. The, the God of the Bible is way, 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 way up. Way up. And I'm going to show you that in just a second. So Isaiah's vision is here's this throne and here's this God and here's this train of His robe that fills the temple. And then Isaiah catches uh, something else. Above him stood the seraphim. Um, We don't know what these guys are. No one does. In the Hebrew, it means essence of fire or burning ones. Like, Like, don't think... Right? Like on Valentine's Day, you got those naked little babies with wings and a bow. Like I'm all about bow hunting, but, but it's not those guys. It's not those guys. These guys these guys are, are the essence of fire or burning ones. If one of these boys showed up on your walk back to the cabin tonight, you'd have to change your shorts when you got home. That, that, that's who these boys are. Bright essence of fire, burning ones. We get a little description of these seraphim. Each of them have six wings. With two of them, they cover their face with, because they can't look upon the glory of God. With two, they cover their feet to, to, to show um, the, the, the honor that is due God in His presence. And with two of those wings, they fly. And one of the seraphim calls out to the other one and he says this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth, is full of His glory. Now, men, when you read your Bible, you have to use your brain. We sing songs like, Oh, Holy Night. I don't know what that means. We say things like, Holy Cow, or Holy Other Things, depending on what kind of day you're having. We we have a category of God being holy because, well, the Bible says it, and there's a Christmas song about it, we're pretty sure, but we don't, stop to think about what that means first of all what does holy mean it means this he is completely set apart and unlike his creation that means he's not eye level with you that means he's not going to be understood by you that means he's not going to be managed by you manipulated by you you're not going to run a PR campaign for him to make him cooler you're not going to change him he's going to change you he is completely set apart and unlike his creation that's what holy means What's it mean when you say holy three times? It doesn't mean that you don't have anything else to say. It means that the defining character, uh, the, the, the defining attribute of this God is that he is holy, set apart, holy, holy, three times. Now, you may not know, but you need to know that in the Hebrew language, they don't have um, all caps and exclamation points and things like that. So to make your point, you use repetition. You see this elsewhere in the Bible. Jesus say, like, verily, verily, right? Or, or Proverbs has a lot of repetition in it. And the point of the repetition is to make the point. And so when you when the 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 one seraphim calls out to the other and says holy holy holy, what he's saying is is that if you want to get the defining character um, attribute of God, the defining characteristic of God, it is that he is set apart; that he is not like us. The late R.C. Sproul, great theologian, made the observation that nowhere in the Bible do you see that God is love, 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 or that He's wrath, 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 or even that He's mercy, 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 but, but here we see the only place like this, the defining characteristic of God, holy, 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 He is not like us. Men, that is the best news in all the world, He's not like us. He is set apart from us. He stands above us. All of of His creation has been uh, polluted by sin. He stands over and above the creation. And so the seraphim, if you have the picture, really high throne, God on the top of it... A train of His robe coming down all over in the temple. These two, um, these two angels, the, the, if I'm getting it correctly, are just on fire. And out of the flame are the six wings. And out of the flame comes a voice. And it is a piercing voice. Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah continues. Um, i got to turn the page. And the foundations, verse 4, of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So Isaiah walks into the throne room, and the throne room is hewn out of these giant rocks with these giant pillars. And as the seraphim, the one, cries out to the other and, and, and makes that proclamation of the holiness of God, the, the, the very foundations of the place shake. It is as though when I walk into the temple, when I walk into the throne room, it appears as though nothing can can come and shake this place. And yet, at at the proclamation of the defining characteristic of God, holy, 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 the place shakes down to its very footings. It shakes down to the footings of the footings. And the house is filled with smoke. And again, it was R.C. Sproul who said, if inanimate rocks have the good sense to respond to the holiness of God, so should we. I think you have two things going on here possibly. I think on the one hand, you have the, the the sheer volume of the seraphim shouting across the throne room and by extension, across the heavens, the holiness of God. There's a volume factor there that, 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 that causes the, the rocks and the foundations to tremble. But I think you also have, I think R.C. Sproul's on to something there. If the rocks respond to the holiness of God, so should we... The place is filled with smoke. And now Isaiah speaks. And this is what he says Woe is me. Now we don't use language like that anymore, men. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am undone. I am because, for, because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. What Isaiah does here, you, whether you're catching it in the language or not, is he basically pronounces a curse upon himself. Like a curse of death. Like, I should be dead. I should be dead because of the holiness of that God sitting on that throne. I I should... I mean, he just flat on the ground. Just, I, I am undone. Utterly. And you'll notice where he begins. Like, he says, I, I'm undone. Not because I have a lust problem or not because I murdered a guy or not like the the, the thing he says next is interesting is simply because of my words I'm a man of unclean lips now that's interesting you might take that and say well he's said a couple too many f-bombs in his life and so now he regrets it maybe but Isaiah's a pretty holy guy he's a prophet like he's a pretty good dude and I don't think you have here um, as much remorse and regret over the fact that he says the f-word I don't think that's what's going on at all. I think that what he's saying instead is is just in the presence of that God, beholding his holiness, like I, it's not my it's not the F word that's the problem here. It's all my words. Like all of my words in, in, in relation to that holiness and in in that compelling beauty. All of my words don't fit him. Like all, my, all the idle words. All the stupid things I've talked about. All of the, all, none of that fits with this God. So kill me. Woe is me. I'm lost. I should be dead. Watch what God does. This is called grace. Then, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that He had taken with tongs from the altar. And He touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for." Do you see that? Notice here, brothers, that God does not run down off of the throne, gather up His robe, run to Isaiah, and say, oh, cute little Isaiah, it's actually not that bad. It's okay that you have used empty words and wasted the breath in your lungs that I've given you. It's okay. Don't worry about it. That is not what He says. God is not the motivational speaker that a lot of of us have made Him out to be. He does not run to Isaiah and say, oh, it's going to be okay. But also notice, He does not leave Isaiah there in that puddle of guilt and shame and unworthiness and wishing He was dead. No, he makes a provision for him. The provision comes by way of an angel grabbing tongs from the altar, going to Isaiah, touching his lips, saying from, from that place, your, your, your sins are taken away, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Now man, I what I want you to think about for the rest of your life is Isaiah chapter 6. I mean, among the, among the other things, but I want you thinking about it. I would love it if you would just You can spend the rest of your life thinking about this text and never get to the bottom of it. And as I've thought about it, it seems to me that it goes something like this. A right view of God leads to a serious view of sin and a very small view of self. A right view of God, holy, 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 leads to a serious view of sin and a small view of self. Listen to me, men. One of the best things, one of the greatest things that could ever happen to you is for you to realize that you are not a big deal. For you to realize that you don't really matter. For you to realize that that you are not the center of the universe. For you to realize that you exist to cause your wife and your children and your church to flourish, not for them to cause you to flourish and to be made much of. You exist to make much of them and and to point them to Jesus Christ and to get out of the way. You, you are not going to have the lasting impact by, by way of name recognition that you might think you're going to have. If you don't believe me, tell me the name of your great-grandpa. You don't know it. And he played a pretty significant role in your life because if he wasn't there, you wouldn't be here. And, and, and yet, we, we all want, kind of have this desire in us to go make a name for ourselves. One of the things that, that, that me and, and, and the elders of my church started praying a while ago is, Lord cause our names to be quickly forgotten so long as yours can be remembered and worshipped. So, so, so when you see God like, like that, like God just shows up like that, flexes a bit, throws His weight around, you go, God, You are amazing and You are holy and my sin is serious and God, I am not a big deal. So forget my name so long as they remember Yours. And what that means is, is you you start going after your wife and your children in your church in a completely different way. Rather than so that they will make much of you, you're doing it so that they will flourish and experience joy. And there's way too many men. There's way too many men who use their children to make much of them, to fill up voids in their lives. Who use their wife to make much of them to fill up voids in their life? God help us. Some of us, I, I know brothers like this, who have gotten into ministry to fill a void. If you're in ministry to fill a void, guess what? You're not going to be in ministry very long. God hates what you're doing, and the void will not be filled. And so when we realize that that, that, that king on that throne that he's the point of all of it, then that just frees you to go, okay, well, I'm not the point then. And you can just get out of the way and be faithful and die and have some dude stand at your funeral, say a few things about you that were true and a lot of things that were about Jesus that are true, hopefully, and then you just go on to heaven and, and, and be out of here. And leave a legacy that very few people will, will remember but that many people will be impacted by. That is a work of grace in your life. And it only comes when you see how serious and how weighty and how glorious God is. Now the famous part of this text comes next. Verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Literally, literally rendered in the original, it's here am I. Here am I. Not here I am like geography, like God, I'm over here. He knows where you are. That, that, that's, that's here I am language I understand why they did it it's more readable written that way but in the original it's here am I here I am is God I'm over here you know coordinates GPS coordinates here am I is sacrificial language like God I'm all yours God I'm over here you already know that and I am all yours you need someone to go I'll go you need someone to preach a thing that's going to get some people in trouble. I'll, I'll do it. God, you got a message and you need a man to preach the message because when God looks for a message to be preached, you'll notice He comes looking for a man to do it. God, you need a man to preach the message. I'm your guy. Right here. But before you get over the eager tonight, men, to go, here am I, you may want to read the rest of the text. It goes something like this. Okay, bud. I'm going to send you to a people who don't want you to go. And it will be an act of judgment that their ears will not receive the messages you have and it is not going to go well for you. As Isaiah is going to find out. But brothers, regardless of the cost, it is good for us to pause for a moment and to ponder the fact that when you get a view of God that is a right view of God like that, there is only one response to that. You need someone to go? I'll do it. You need someone to go back into my my house and love my wife and lay down my life for her every single day? I'm your guy. You need someone to go be present with my children and point them to Jesus? Get home from work feeling like I'm dead and have to go in there and be life for them? I'll do it. You need someone to go to my church and toe the line and be faithful? and serve, and be misunderstood. I'm that guy. When, when you see God like that, you sign up and do the thing that God has called you to do. But you would be gravely mistaken to leave this text with only that understanding without backing up. Because there's going to be a time coming a couple hundred years after this, couple couple centuries after after Isaiah's day where where the call's going to go out through the heavens one more time. Who will we send and who will go for us? Only this time it's not Isaiah, because Isaiah just points us to someone else. This time, it's Jesus. Who can we send and who will go for us? And who will go and redeem these people? And Jesus says, here am I, send me. And the Father says to the Son, but Son... They are not going to receive you. They do not want you to come. You will speak words that they will not receive. And the son says, I'll go anyway. And so it is that God the Father sends God the Son down to a wayward and rebellious people who are not waiting for His arrival. And when He gets here, He lives in relative obscurity only to then have the the, the prophecy over Isaiah actually really come true fully in His life because the people who were supposed to receive Him, His own people, do not receive Him and they kill Him instead. And it is in His death, men, that we find that our sin can be taken away and our guilt atoned for. It is in the death of Jesus Christ that you can be free to die. It is in the death of Jesus Christ that the problem as we've talked about already, between God being holy and us not being holy, that that problem is solved. Because Jesus Christ brings a holy God and sinners into one another's presence because He makes the sinners holy. And what that means for us, brothers, what that means for us, Is that if you would get a vision of God from His Word by His Spirit tonight, and you would be a man who would say, I'll go, I'll go, you need to know that you go not not as you, but as a representative of Jesus Christ. You need to go with His words, His purpose. And you need to know that they may not receive you well and probably won't. But that in them not receiving you well, you give glory to your King. I'm, guys, I get really, really concerned about events like this one. Not anything intrinsic to the event, but what it concerns me is is that you come here and God... God does something in you, and I'm not denying that. And then, and then you sort of, you sit there and you get this idea that you're going to go back home and you're going to just whoop the world. But the problem with that is, is that the world's not ready for you. And they weren't ready for him. And there's just enough health, wealth, and prosperity gospel in all of us, which, by the way, I abominate and is not a gospel, but there is just enough of that intrinsic in all of us that we might think that we're going to go home and we're going to read our Bibles and we're going to hear my Lord send me and we're just going to absolutely just kill it. And come Monday morning, you had a t- you, you, you slept in, so you didn't read, you went to work, you got your butt whooped, you, you went home, your wife was, was mad, the kids were crazy, and you have fallen apart like a cheap suitcase. You haven't even been home for 24 hours yet because you thought this thing was going to be awesome. And brothers, it's hard. Do you know that, we don't know how Isaiah dies exactly. Rumor has it he gets cut in half. You, 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 uh, you, you go read about the apostles, doesn't end well for them. The only one that doesn't get killed is John, and they tried to kill him and boil him, and it didn't work, so then they just exile him to an island. Like, this thing does not end well for us men. It doesn't. And so if you are thinking that, that the whole, here am I, Lord, send me. And God's like, yes. Here comes all the rewards and all of that right now. That's not the case. What, what, what happens is, is that you are faithful and you bust your knuckles and you bleed and you take a bunch of butt whoopings and, and you die in relative obscurity and then you go to the reward. The reward is there, not here. Do you understand me? It's there, not here. Some of us are going to labor with children and and try to point our sons and our daughters to Jesus Christ and never even see the fruit of it here. You're going to minister in a church in relative obscurity where no one knows your name. If you think it's about glory here, you've got it all wrong. It's blood and repentance and sin and struggle here and a lot of glory there. A lot of glory there. Men, if you don't understand that Jesus Christ has already won the battle, if you don't understand that God's favor already is on you because of Christ, then you're going to be trying to collect W's down here. That's a bad idea. You might get a few as He brings and praise His name, but we take a lot more losses than wins it feels like a lot of times. You're trying to see results down here. You're going to get yourself into trouble. This thing is a long game, men. It's a long game and it ends in glory. And I just I'm like begging God like God and Alex and in a couple of hundred other dudes in here. Give us a vision of you that is so transcendent that we can go be the men we're called to be, assured of pardon and guilt being removed by Jesus and go be the men we're called to be with a long view, like heaven like, not, not go home and try this thing for a week and then quit, because that's what so many of us have done. But instead, to go home and say, I'm going to hang in here, and I'm going to be who I'm called to be, and I'm going to do all of those things, and, and I'm going to go into glory, faithful, and get my reward there. Brothers, I'm, I'm nearly done, but hear me, would you? There's, there's too many men... In the church, trying to make names for themselves. There's, there's too many men in the church thinking that you can go home from, from, from men's retreat and, and have a completely different marriage and a completely different family and a completely different church by the end of the week. It's been really well said of young dudes. You, you way overestimate what you can get done in a year and way underestimate what you can get done in a lifetime. Too many men who are like bottle rockets. We know what those are. And not enough diesel engines that just go a really long time. Just hang in there and just go. And and, and, and I'm saying... Because I'm afraid for some of you bottle rockets in here that I'm giving you what you want, which is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and I'm going to talk to my pastor because he sucks at preaching and I'm going to straighten my wife out and my kids are going to be, you know, have the Greek New Testament memorized by the end of summer and I'm going to go do all this. Listen to me. Your pastor knows a lot more than you so shut your mouth and respect him. And your wife actually is is for putting up with you like she's a saint, right? And your kid, right? But But, but I'm afraid that some of you especially younger guys this is what we do young dudes do this and you burn yourself out and you blow your church up and you discourage your pastor he's like praying that the next funeral he gets to do is yours he might even do it you know like he, he might even bring it about and then give your wife a discount on the deal and, and so so there's a bunch like and, and I do not want you to leave here doing that I want men to leave here with their Bibles under their one arm, eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, looking to the horizon for either their death or the king to return. And saying to themselves, with a bunch of other men around them, let's play the man and be faithful until either the king comes back or we drop dead. Like, like that, that's it. And so men, listen to me. If... what. Well, There's no authority in Alex, but if if you would hear God speaking to you, which is what I'm praying that he's doing, this this weekend would not be wasted if five of you or ten of you said, I'll be that guy. 5 or 10 of you said Christ has already won he has made me a victor forget about accolades down here forget about all that down here i'm just going to put my head down and be faithful i'm just going to read my bible i'm going to love my wife i'm going to nurture my kids i'm going to point them to jesus i'm going to go to my church and do whatever they want me to do i'm just going to do that and i'm going to do that for 5 years and then 5 more after that and then another 10 after that and i and i'm going to run my way into heaven faithfully, loving the same woman, pointing my kids to Jesus, seeing some, some dudes around me love Jesus more for having me around, like, like men like that. Not, nothing real sexy about that one. No one's going to write a book about you. That's okay. You're just going to be faithful. And then you're going to die. And then you're going to wake up in glory. And the king's going to be there. And you're going to fall on your face. And he's going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. No one knew your name, but I did. But I did. And so, Father, would you be pleased to do that in us? Because, God, I'm just saying, we can't do it ourselves. Like, God, we could in this moment right now have all of the best notion of trying to be that guy, and we're going to get home on Monday and, and ruin the whole thing. God, like, we need you to just move in our hearts and to change us. God, like, to radically move us by this vision of who you are, your holiness and your goodness to us. God, we need a good reminder that Christ has already won, so we don't have to. God, we need a good reminder that glory's coming, but not here. God, we need a good reminder that there's a long fight in between here and the end. God, we need a good reminder that no one ever hits the summit without starting at the bottom of the mountain and and climbing. God, we need a good reminder that our wives matter. We need a good reminder that it doesn't matter if everybody in our town thinks we're great if our family can't stand us. We, no, it doesn't matter if the guys at our church think we're good dudes if our wife knows what's really going on. It doesn't matter if a lot of people respect us if our children can't stand us. God, it doesn't ma- none of that matters. So would you cause us as men to just see the importance of being who you've called us to be in the place that you've put us? And God, might our families, our marriages, our churches, our neighborhoods look different for having us in them. Not not a lot of recognition, God. Recognition for you, not for us. Just faithful men in here. Like a couple of hundred faithful men in here that kill sin, that look to Christ, that read their Bibles that seek your face in prayer, that would sooner miss a meal than go without opening the Word. Men in here that link arms with other men and walk in humility and confess their sins. Men who allow other men to speak into their lives and to confront them on their marriage. Men who know how to look to the horizon for the King to return. And men who are just content to play their parts well until he does and god we would say with paul and with many saints throughout the centuries come quickly lord jesus and the men said amen so brothers have um i don't have questions for you because I, what I want you to do is I want you to spend your time, once we're done singing, talking about how it is that you are going to go be the thing that we've just talked about. I want you to talk about um, how the Word of God has impacted you. Um, I want you to talk about how it is that ten years from now, you're going to be loving Jesus more than you do right now. Making plans and strategizing your own obedience. Brothers, listen to me. You can make a plan to kill a buck. You can make a plan to get a promotion. You can make a plan to to any of those things. And you need to figure out how to make a plan... That is a Bible, a biblical plan to be faithful and to be these things. Otherwise, you're going to get home Monday and fall apart. So what I want you doing tonight is spending your time as brothers talking about that. How do we get sustainability? And then tomorrow, we're going to come and we're going to take a real practical look at at Monday morning. Like we're going to take a real practical look at Monday morning and, and getting after it. Okay, thank you.